about the sounds of speech with me, Eric Armstrong, as one of your hosts, and Phil Thompson. Hi, Phil. Hey there, Eric. How you doing? I'm good. Now, where are you right now, Phil? I am currently in Cedar City, Utah, at the Utah Shakespearean Festival. No, it's not the Shakespearean Festival anymore. It's the Utah Shakespeare Festival. We've had a, a name change, and I can't get it right anymore. Oh, it's no longer adjectival. No, which I think is is good. It's just Shakespeare, man. It's not Shakespearean. Yeah, man. Okay, cool. Uh, and you're you're almost done there, am I right? Uh, well, it's actually uh, the end of this month. So at the beginning of July is when all things will be wrapped up. Right. But uh, you're not done for your summer. Uh, you're then on to other travels. Yes. Uh, Dudley Knight and I have a couple of speech workshops as uh, speech workshop and an accent workshop, and uh, we'll be doing that in July in New York City. Uh, then I'm back home in time to get ready for the VASTA conference, which is in Chicago, and you're going to be there as well, yes? I am. In fact, we will do an episode of Glossonomia live at the conference. Which will be exciting, and uh, we'll, we'll save our plea for interesting things to talk about until the end of the episode. And uh, then... After that, I head to Cincinnati Playhouse, where I'm coaching As You Like It, and then back to school so I can rest. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you've got a very busy uh, professional professional summer, and uh, my summer is not quite so full of professional gigs. Um, it's Good for you. Of, well, in a, in a way, uh, my life is full of... Uh, personal stuff. I'm moving internally within Toronto, um, not leaving my work or anything. I'm just going to a new house. And so um, we're in that stage where we have done a bridge loan. We have two houses at the same time. Right. And so we're packing one up and we're doing renovations at the other. And that's um, it's not a lot of fun, but it, uh, you know, it's one of those things that's got to get done. And uh, I did have a fairly busy spring doing, uh, I wrote an article for a oh, book. Good. It's actually a chapter of a book um, about uh, a transgender performance artist. I focused on her voice aspect, cool. and uh, that's going to be a really neat book when it comes out that later this year or next year. And uh, I also coached uh, the cosmonaut's last message to the woman he once loved in the former <laughs> Soviet Union, the play with the world's longest title, um, and uh, that that presented a lot of interesting challenges, too. So, um, busy, busy spring, and, and now I get to focus on this home stuff. Terrific. So, yeah. I suppose I've had a sort of literary spring as well, uh, since I've been on sabbatical and working on a book. Oh. Tell uh, us about it. Well... I, I have a working title, which is the same as uh, the workshop that I do with Dudley, which is Experiencing Accents. And uh, my hope is that as an accent book, it will spend as much time talking about the methodology and uh, the how and the why of accents as it does about the practicalities of make this sound, make that sound. And uh, that's been challenging, and I've got a terrific outline and, and uh, a pile of 3 by 5 cards uh, and various uh, abortive efforts at writing a first chapter. So uh, it continues to be a struggle, but it continues to actually change what I think by virtue of what I say I think. And that's been very instructive. Wonderful. How exciting. Well, yeah. we look forward to that sometime in the future. <laughs> I'll give periodic updates as we go, I suppose. Oh, great. Great. Okay, so uh, today... Um, we are hoping to finish off our Tetrafecta, um, <laughs> our four-episode series on lot, cloth, and thought. Um, and, of course, I pronounce those all the same because, uh, for me, they're all the same generally. Um, I, I think I've acquired weird pronunciations of them over time. But well, today that, I think, is a theme that we'll probably come back to, the, the variability and the the echo chamber of our own heads. Uh-huh, yes. And I, th yeah, that whole thing about modeling sounds for students and trying yeah. to do something so that they can at least hear a distinction. I, I find that particularly true for myself in Canada where almost all of my students have 
all of these sounds merged with palm and so they hear no distinction and so I'm frequently dancing around trying to make a, a vowel quality difference that they can hear. Um, so today we're going to focus on thought. Uh, yes. So let's talk a bit about uh, the lexical set. Um, yeah. That uh, thought is one of I th you know I I find that thought for me is one of the ones that's easier to identify. And Why is that? Of, I think it has to do with the fact that there is a traditional connection to the way it was once pronounced and mm. that spelling. And that those spelling conventions carry over pretty directly to the pronunciation that we get in many accents like RP. So we um, get an extra clue, maybe a, a consonant after the vowel, which tells us that something's up. I often say to my students that you can usually identify it in that it takes multiple letters to write this sound. Mm. Um, yeah. So when we get A-U-G-H or O-U-G-H, um, those pronunciations uh, that might be ah uh, for, for someone like my students where it's merged where you would say ah uh, but it's written with many letters a u a w uh, rather than just a simple a um, that that's often a clue that it's part of the the thought lexical set as uh, opposed to cloth or locked or palm even or palm yeah um, and uh, the John Wells, when he, he broke down the lexical set, he um, divided it into two groups, um, the A group and the B group. And the B group is really a small group because it's, uh, it's words where it's A followed by L followed mm -hmm. by a stop consonant. Well, there's a couple with fricatives like false. Um, but uh, generally halt, salt, malt, false. Um, whereas the uh, other words, uh, we, all of them have multiple letters uh, or A-L-L -L, or final A-L. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, things like A-U-G-H, A-U-G-H-T, O-U-G-H-T, uh, A-U, A-W, um, and uh, it seems curious to me to distinguish a double L from a single L. The double L is at the end of the word, whereas the AL that's in the section B is always uh, followed by another consonant in that Which, syllable. And we've noticed before, of course, that uh, checking or closing off the vowel with uh, an unvoiced consonant is likely to change the vowel length and hence the vowel quality. But all and salt, even if I might make some length distinction, I'm definitely making them both as the same vowel shape. Yeah? Uh, but I think Wells's point is that for some accents, the, those B words might merge with lot. Yeah. And yeah. so for... For some groups, A and B will all be this all realization, and in other groups, there'll be this B group that might go to lot. So some people might say you used all the salt. All the salt, yeah. The salt would be a bit more open. Got it. Um, yeah, so that's generally the, the thought group. The thing to remember is that all followed by R really isn't thought that that all sound followed by R is going to be the north or force lexical sets depending on how that is in the speakers. Mm. This Why? opens up uh, perhaps a can of worms that we might want to save, but that is cloth words followed by R are distinct, at least in their underlying dialect shape. Uh, distinct from thought words followed by R. And thought words followed by R are generally, for us, north and force. Yes, in fact, Wells essentially says there are no thought words followed by R. Anything that you're thinking of as thought followed by R is north or force. Yes. Um, whereas 
cloth, he does make a distinction that there is a, a group of words that are cloth words that are followed by R. Words like origin or moral. Um, and I think we hear that in North America as uh, this, this group of words that could um, head into that lot distinction. So there are those variable words. They could merge with lot or they could merge with thought. So here's a question that I have really for J.C. Wells, but I'm going to ask it of you. <laughs> uh, why, if we have a north and a forest category, especially because forest and north for nearly everybody are merged into a single category, so we're making fine distinctions there, why do we not have uh, a lot followed by our category, a horror category? Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> stumpy, wasn't it? <laughs> I, uh, I wish John Wells was here, <laughs> and he could then tell us. Well, I have um, a glib answer for it, which is that he couldn't get a monosyllabic word to fit to describe the category, so he had to give up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we, we, you know, he's one of those people that's quite a. Uh, accessible that you could email him and ask him a question. He's quite likely to respond. True. So well, that's something we could do. Um, yeah. I have another suspicion about why this just occurred to me that uh, he does think a lot about syllable boundaries. And uh, it may be that for him, in a word like origin, that the second syllable contains the R, and that the first syllable is without it, so it's... So it's cloth word. Cloth. Yeah. It's yes. cloth region rather than cloth region <laughs> if that made any sense. <laughs> um, there, there, I'm just trying to flip back to this list. There are... Uh, many of the words yeah. are single R words, so things like origin, uh, florid, florida, florist. Um, but some, like horrid, horrible, uh, borrow, tomorrow, uh, Morris, um, are double R words. So <laughs> it, it, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, I often think double R, well, one could easily put one of those R's in the first syllable and the second R in the second syllable, that this, that this spelling is giving us a clue, but uh, not, may not... It may not be in this case. And, of course, for both you and I, the, these are entirely merged with North and Force. So I say horrible and origin, and it seems peculiar to me to say horrible and origin. Yes, I think the, there are a few, the few exceptions. Uh, your your S-O-R-R-Y goes with S-A-R-I. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, yes. What about uh, borrow? Do you borrow? Borrow, yeah. And it's true that I probably put a little bit more rounding on borrow than I do on, or less rounding on borrow than I do on horrible. Right. What, what I've about, never uh, thought about that. You know, a stand of trees? Uh, forest. For me, that's a forest. A forest. Yeah. So that, uh, that you know, the St. Uh, the River, St. Oh, the St. <laughs> I don't know. It the United River. States of Canada. <laughs> Lawrence, uh, Lawrence or, I would yeah. say. And or again, it's spelled definitely. A W, so, or I think very few people would say St. Lawrence. Um, but, you know, there. I think there are some people in um, Upper New York State who might say St. Lawrence. Um, yeah. Well, being here at a Shakespeare festival, uh, questions like, I mean, Forest does come up in a few plays, as certainly does Warwick, or Warwick. And as you know, there's a tradition in American speech teaching which requires the, I would call it the East Coast uh, version of this, that is to say, cloth followed by R, horrible, forest, Warwick, so, so be uh, that it be merged and with that, lot, essentially. Uh, yes, although that's also a system in which lot and cloth are both merged together. And for me, lot and cloth are right. are separate. So 
whatever the reasons, whether they are based on the root accent or some sense that you want to avoid excessive R, which can happen if you say Warwick, Forest, and Horrible, uh, whatever the reasons, that's the, the yeah. has been the dominant model. And that's fast fading. I get very few people now coming in say, saying the right. forest of Arden. Unless they're from New York City and they haven't mm -hmm. adjusted their accent at all. And, and do you do you then suggest and that we, they say forest of Arden? I do I do ask for a little bit of rounding because it's essentially what I'm trying to do is to get everybody inside of the psychological borders of the United States so that their accent becomes undetectable mm -hmm. to most people, uh, which is an interesting challenge in and of itself and a very difficult one to define. And then I'm basically hunting for outliers. I have to confess that I'm also sometimes hunting down people who have been given a very British model or they came to the work with a very British model and I'm trying to get them to stop yes. talking like English people. But then on the other hand, for, let's say, a younger generation of actors, I'm trying to find things that stand out as particularly regional, mm -hmm. like hand. Or in this case, if somebody came in saying forest, a horrible forest, I would want to change that just to get it inside of the bounds of undetectability. Th this... Another thing that I thought about for today, and I, I think I'll throw it in here, uh, schedule be damned. Uh, I, in thinking about this, I thought, well, if I'm trying to teach a foreign actor, or a foreign actor, if you will, uh, how to speak an American accent, I'm faced with a very difficult problem of which American mm -hmm. accent to teach them. And obviously I've been thinking about this because this book, I hope, will appeal to people who will want to learn an American accent. As you know, in working with Dudley, Dudley Knight, we avoid finding a specific target for American accents because the tradition of speech training has been filled with people trying to make a single perfect American accent towards which all students should aspire. And uh, for a variety of reasons, that's a problematic enterprise. So, when I turn to trying to teach, let's say, an Australian how to do an American accent, I'm really faced with this problem of having to define a target. And so I thought, well, first, the model that I've already expressed, I want to make sure that the choices are all choices that nobody can quite detect. Uh, nothing that makes people go, mm. wait a minute, you're from such a place. Uh, and so on this question of, of lot and cloth, and thought words, I, I went hunting for American actors. Uh, so here's, here's a question for you. Where is Tom Hanks from? <laughs> Hollywood. Uh, almost, actually. He's from Northern California okay. near San Francisco. And uh, since, since I'm editing this episode, I think I'll take a risk okay. and play you a sound. Uh, which I will then successfully edit into the program without too much difficulty. I have it in a file called SCGA, uh, which stands for So-Called General American. You know, I was thinking maybe it should be Generic American, um, because it's not associated with any well, branding. That, and the fact is that uh, in, in using the title So-Called General American, I'm trying to undermine the authority of General American, because there are many, many reasons why establishing General American as a standard is seriously problematic, and why most linguists would set you on fire if you mentioned General American. So generic actually might do the same thing. It tells people it's just generic, don't take it too seriously. All right, so here's Tom Hanks, and I think that you'll be able to hear it if I unplug my headphones. Supporters or relatives who have gone off half-cocked still. I support Barack Obama. Gone off half-cocked. 
So what I hope you could hear there is that in the phrase, gone off half-cocked, all of those sounds are the same. Gone off half-cocked. But in a couple of other samples, he says daughter, but he says other words, which I would think of as lot words, slightly rounded. Uh, I recently listened to uh, uh, an app uh, proposing to teach American pronunciation to somebody, uh, and I won't mention its title because I don't have many good things to say about it. But the sound for, I would have to say, both cloth and thought was described as the A-H sound, but was pronounced oh. ah. And it sounded to me like the speaker, who appeared to be from British Columbia based on her bio, they, they were all merged, lot, cloth, and thought, but they were merged around a very slightly rounded lot, cloth, and thought. They all seemed mm. to me a little bit round, which was peculiar. Well, you know, my, my take on that story is that many Canadians do actually have a rounded version of these vowels, but it, it is so indistinct to them that they don't notice it, that they think mm. that it's the same as yeah. palm. And well, this is the point with Tom Hanks as well. If you asked him to take all of these words, if we gave him little tiles with these words on them, he would not organize them into a system that accurately yeah. reflected what he did. And I think for many of us, yeah, that's I true. I mean, my, my uh, memory of, of Tom Hanks's voice, I generally think of it as being, a, most of those sounds as being sort of in the lot category and, and being realized in a fairly mm -hmm. fronted way. You know, lot. Uh, let's come back to the issue of lot fronting, because I think that's an interesting thing that we haven't yet mentioned. Uh, but let's hold off for a moment. Uh, so variability amongst Americans who merge lot, lot and cloth, or even lot, cloth, and thought, that variability is not quite mm -hmm. predictable. And it's certainly not dramatic and I, I, I organized. I think that, that, I that point about the, it's not being dramatic, it, in some ways when I first explore um, these back vowels, whether they're rounded or not, um, it's helpful for me to do something like RP where there's a really big difference or a, a New York accent where you can yeah. really hear the difference in the vowel qualities. Um, and people go, oh, okay, I can see how in those accents it's really different. But in mine, they're all the same. And because the, the differences for many speakers is so subtle, um, getting people to notice and to begin to articulate subtle differences in these back vowels, it, that's tricky. It's, uh, it's one of the harder things that um, we have to do, I think, as, as coaches and teachers. Well, this, this takes me back to the problem I'm wrestling, wrestling with in this book, that it's not enough to say that all Americans merge these sounds or, or to even lay out the sort of framework of any individual accent. You certainly have to do that because some distinctions are marked. That is to say, we notice them and an audience will notice them. But you have to also, at the same time that you're doing that, get your students sensitive to subtle distinctions so that they can, frankly, make many of them unconsciously. Yes, yes, I think that's true. And that, that, uh, that awareness of language, that to the point that with, when I'm in this uh, you know, oral posture, that not only is my mouth doing something, but my mind is adapting to the words as they come up off the page, say, at a, a reading that I'm going up, lot, cloth, thought. I'm noticing those distinctions as I, the words are coming to me because I've taken the time to really uh, synthesize the process of, of, of identifying words and the possibilities of their pronunciation. Uh, it's, it's, that's 
that takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. Yeah, and the, the fact is, though, we have a lifetime's practice. Actors have been thinking about and playing with accents. And I, I often feel that a good process of teaching accents and speech to actors will give them, essentially, an ear. You know, people say, oh, he has an ear for accents. I think that we can develop that, and I think that that's a worthwhile enterprise. Anything that an actor works on gaining flexibility and subtlety with is going to be available for them in every performance. Indeed. Um, yeah. We so have, we've wandered just, off of I, thought. I don't feel like we have much left to talk about thought. Um, do you want to talk briefly about realizations of thought in various accents? Yeah. So let's start in the United States, or actually in North America as a whole, and talk about the merged uh, landscape of lot cloth thought can lead people in much of the west of the United States, and as you've said, in in most of Canada, uh, to, to have a fairly rounded ah. Yeah. Uh, all these guys thought about yeah, to me that's my daughter. Particularly back ah. Uh, yeah, ah, uh, as opposed to rounding ah. Uh. And I, I think I'd say that people who do that unrounded ah uh, for thought, I don't hear it fronted very much, that. No. Yeah, that's very... Uh, although a person might have a lot of cloth and have a fronted lot and a backed cloth and thought without much rounding to be seen right. anywhere. And we get that in places like the Midwest, right? Yeah, absolutely. And for me, as a, a person from the Inland North, I've got an unmerged cloth and lot, but a merged cloth and thought. Right. Yes. If that makes sense. It does. It's interesting that your realization of cloth just now was m more rounded than your realization <laughs> yes. of thought. Uh, but uh, Yes, that's uh, yeah, the, obs sure. the observer yes. effect. Um, okay, so, and then we, uh, if we go more east coast, we may get um, some off-glide on things like thought and cloth. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, we might average out to the same slightly rounded position, but it starts very rounded and yes. ends very unrounded. So we get, yeah, cloth, coffee, thoughts. And the speed with which we go from rounded to unrounded, how much time we spend in either one can vary. But... You know, it's a falling diphthong. The, I, the first yeah. element is, is longer than the second element, even if there could be more or less of the second yeah. element. Which is why, for, for the most part, linguists are describing that sound as an open O or a turned C, as we mentioned before, an aw sound. Because the second part is not as noticeable. Yes. It's most mostly an aw. Indeed. Um, and uh, in the South, generally, is there a general... I would say it's generally reversed. That is to say, you start a little bit more open, you say, all. Now, all. is that partly because of that, that realization is an L, and that the L, L, oh. Uh, yeah, thought. Well, I will say that uh, certainly this sound is... Uh, uh, sensitive to the phonetic environment, as we've already been saying, if there's an unvoiced plosive at the end of the word, you'll have a shorter vowel. So let's try one that ends in an uh, fawn. There we go. Uh, the fawn, fawn. I'm not getting fully to a ah, fawn. And I'm spending more time in the awe part of it, fawn, fawn. But if I said thought, I might very well spend more time in the unrounded portion of it, thought. I thought there was a fawn. Fawn. Does that make sense to you? That there may be some variability about when I get yeah. to the rounded part of it. Fawn. Thought yeah. there was a fawn. I thought so they were all fawns. rounding into it instead of rounding out of it. 
Exactly. And I'm, uh, we're doing Glass Menagerie right now, so Amanda is dealing with these. It doesn't make sense for her to hit every single one as a full owl, dog sort of thing. So she needs to be sensitive to and available for variations in the realization based on the word, based on the sentence. Uh, just as we were saying moments ago, uh, an actor has to improvise and flow yeah. with their sound changes. Now, I am. Uh, we, we just touched, touched briefly on this AL thing. Uh, you know, there are all these words yeah. like all, Paul, always, although, um, where it's a thought word, where it's typically A-L or A-L-L. And then mm -hmm. we talked a bit briefly about how the B section is A followed by L. And it reminded me of words like falcon or uh, dolphin, dauphin uh, in uh, Shakespeare. Um, and that uh, mm -hmm. that m I, I looking at the words that have the al consonant uh, in that 60b group of thought uh, reminded me of that like some a word like somersault uh, the the uh, s a u l t yeah. comes from s French uh, sauter it's a kind of a jump um, and that l is really part of that o. Um, it would be a, a velarized L, essentially, and that uh, traditionally Fulton mm -hmm. was pronounced without an L, an actual L, that the tongue tip did not come up. Uh, well, that's true, except it depends on how far back you go in the tradition, because falcon or falchion, the sword, uh, both come from a Latin word, falx, F-A-L-X, and so... The original sound did have an a. It was an a l, which shifted through a process that we're familiar with into this o sound. Uh, it's sort of, I think it went there and bounced back into fal in, at least in my American speech. Falcon sounds more reasonable right. to me than falcon. Um, that it's uh, constantly shifting, that the the... Yes. And influenced yes, by spelling. The spelling we evolved have to say. out of a pronunciation, and then the pronunciation evolved away from the spelling, and then the pronunciation went back towards the spelling. Mm -hmm. um, and th those shifts will happen on and off and on and off, I suspect, over time. Uh, yeah. Cool. If anybody says falcon anymore in the future. If they do. If the, if the birds even exist. <laughs> um, now, yes, sadly. Uh, I guess this might be a, a good time. I, I, no, do we need to talk a little bit about realizations in the UK, like Cockney, for instance? Uh, yeah, let's definitely do that, because there's an interesting mm. sort of shift going on. Uh, first of all, we have this RPO, which I'm sure for your students, certainly for mine, is to get them to the cardinal vowel position, or we have to go outside of their familiar sound. Uh, in fact, what they have to do is find their north and fourth sound and take the R out of it yes. to get that O. Yes, and it's it, uh, John Wells in uh, Accents of English describes it as being closer to the pure O vowel uh, than the uh, cardinal open O symbol, um, which is what, cardinal six, something like that. Um, I'm going to trust uh, you on that. Um, so here it is. Uh, o is a back, closely rounded mid vocoid lying, therefore, between cardinal six and seven, though old fashioned RP has an opener quality. Gen M, O is opener, namely between cardinal five and six, and has only open lip rounded. So um, he, he, he's basically saying that those two things that he's going by, his two standards that he's going by, neither of them actually falls right on the cardinal vowel realization. Yeah, I think that's, uh, again, it's very useful to have worked with students on the phonetics separate from their application uh, to be able to get a firm sense of what yeah. what's actually happening in the mouth. Um, Here's a, another realization of thought words. Well, I suppose we should do Cockney first that there tends to be a little bit more, you could say, darkening, maybe more lip protrusion, 
maybe a, a raised tongue position. Thought. Yeah, in fact, uh, John Wells talks about it actually rounding to the O vowel, so we're getting O, O. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And he says that uh, that O off-gliding to schwa can happen in Cockney um, in free syllables. So in a word like raw, we might get that off-glide to schwa uh, in Cockney. That's That may be a his... Uh, That's yes, R-A-W. Not R-O-A-R. Yes. I think that there's a further development of this that I want to mention, which is in, in many, uh, both in African English, that is to say in places where English is spoken commonly in Africa, uh, that is to say English colonies, former colonies, there can be a, a real merging of cloth, thought, North force and even lot into an almost pure o o. Uh, I recall a Nigerian email I think I might have mentioned before, in which uh, the person pleading with me to allow them to give me money uh, describes his sister having been short by a bad man. S h o r t. She was short. They showed her. And so, for the speaker writing that, I imagine that shot and short are homophones around this pure vowel. Right. Oh. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, oh. Very, yeah, very rounded in Africa. Um, okay. So, let us uh, just talk about... Uh, I, I think we could have brought this in earlier, but we didn't. Um, Eric Singer very nicely mm. sent us a quibble, as yes. he says. He writes, you mentioned Good. near the beginning that you thought that gone was the only cloth word where a nasal followed the vowel. I'm not at home, so don't have accents of English to hand, but what about long? That's cloth, no? Certainly goes with my cloth words. And thong, belong, along, Hong Kong, King Kong, strong, sarong, etc., I think there might have been some confusion. In fact, you mentioned it t twice in, in the two episodes, uh, and you used a different example, I think, on each one. That when you, you were talking about O-N-G words, and you were separating those from the O-N-E of gone. Yeah, I, I think also that be, a word like gone was is in the A group, of cloth, whereas the ONG words are in the B group. And uh, John Wells mm -hmm. explains that the B group, historically in RP, is um, a little bit different uh, in, in, in for RP speakers historically, in that it didn't go to all. So it would have been lot. But in the US, it, it has been all. Um, so um, so that long list of ONG words, long, strong, wrong, gong, song, thong, songs, throng, uh, is a, definitely a cloth B subset. Um, yeah. So Eric is absolutely right. And if I look in the cloth A list, there's only, the only one with the nasal following a vowel listed here That's right. is gone. Uh, I, I have one other that I'd like to suggest, uh, which is right. scone. Uh, of course, very few people in the United States pronounce it that way. Right, we're getting scone, right? Exactly. I get funny looks at Starbucks because I was in England when I was introduced to this food. Recently, I was in Australia, and somebody tried to sell me the idea that there were really two things. There was a scone, which is made properly, and a scone, which is a, a softer uh, Australian version of it, which really is sort oh. of a bun intershot with little currants and nice. so forth. Uh, so I think that's a, a sort of a right. folk etymology sort of like thing. Like an Eccles cake a little uh, bit. Yeah. I, but, but you see, there's a, 
a difference in attitude right. that I was being told about. And of course, there's the throne of Schoon, which is also spelt the same way. Ah, so, yes. um, if you um, if you are interested in this, there is a post. Uh, what's his name? His I think his what's his his blog is Yelp or. Um, Oh, Gosh, he's got a triple barrel I have no name. Idea. He's, uh, he frequently comments on on John Wells. Um, yes, I am almost uh, there, but uh, I'm so bad. It's a little too early anyway, in the morning. Maybe I will find it while we we chat. Um, but uh, he has a whole thing on this word scone scoon. Um, so we've talked about thought and its various realizations. We've gone back over some of the varieties of pronunciation, uh, I thought it might be fun to uh, put ourselves to the test and read this little passage that I wrote. Uh, essentially, I wrote a, a couple of sentences that uh, exemplify lot, cloth, and thought words. And I, last night, gave it to my wife to read, and she had an act, uh, a response that I think is telling and I think that we might all be familiar with. That is to say, she started and almost immediately she stopped and went, wait a minute. And I believe she even said, I better be careful. <laughs> and uh, that's an odd thing, isn't it? To think I'm in danger of mispronouncing something when no standard of pronunciation has been set except for the inherent understanding that there's variability in these sounds and that when they're all put together, it becomes very, very clear that they could be oh, they could be ah, oh, they could be ah. And uh, we start to check ourselves. And I think that's one reason why you hear a lot of variability amongst all speakers. That is to say, in the United States where there's variation. Because people aren't really settled these sounds are in free variation. Or they're in social vari variation. I actually ran across this symbol in J.C. Wells last night that I somehow had missed, uh, an italic X, uh, which means socially, socially variable with. Uh, and when he's talking about the Caribbean accents... He spends some time talking about this social variability that depending on what class you're in, you pronounce things very, very differently. And I feel that in some ways, lot and cloth can be considered socially variable in the United mm -hmm. States as well. It's, uh, I take it it's yeah, a new one on is. you as um, well. I mean, uh, the idea of social variability depending on essentially class, right, is what we're talking about. Um, and, I think so. Uh, it, it seems to me in the United States, historically, when we talk about class, it's often about uh, regional differences, that people of a s certain uh, money used to live in a certain area of the country, and so that air region was associated with a certain kind of class. But uh, the fact yeah. that there's people with money all over the country, that seems to have changed significantly. Though, the you know, the... East Coast, West Coast, the edges of the country having a fair bit of the power and the middle of the country having less of the power. That, that There's that argument, too, I think. Um, well, yes, what, what gets you ahead? I, I think that the accent, really the accent that, that I speak, is moderated by social concerns as well as its origins. And if you were to take the average and say most Americans moderate their accent according to some mm -hmm. social aspiration, th that you could then extract a social accent from American or any speech and say these are the features of that social accent. But it's nowhere near distinct enough to be able to really pull it completely apart. Uh, I mean, you could say that African-American vernacular English is a social accent. That is to say, it's a yes. cultural accent, really, uh, that is distinct from or overlapping with the regional variations. 
and what what has been called general American is a similar thing, which is you could say the aspirational white accent shared by lots of folks. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Okay. I'm going to read this sample, and I'm going to try desperately not to adjust anything. And I'll run into things that I may feel aren't the way that I really speak it, but we'll find out. So here it goes. The officer and the constable talked to my daughter a lot. They said it was not at all optimal to go on a long cross-country obstacle course from Ottawa to Montreal. Obviously, Chicago to Boston was off, was also off, being far too costly in a borrowed automobile. Mm. Anything stand out to you in listening well, to it that? it struck me that you've taught yourself to say Montreal instead of Montreal, because it, you, you said <laughs> that what is the sort of Canadian pronunciation with the strut vowel for Montreal. Um, I also... Uh, aspirational <laughs> also notice that uh, um, that your lot was fairly fronted um, perhaps more than I imagined it would be mm. um, but um, that that your cloth and thought it may really be are that very much the same the only uh, the only cloth yeah. word that's defined as a cloth word um, that sounded lot-ish to me was borrowed um, which surprised me because I expected your borrowed to be more thoughtish to me. Well, it may also be that your marker is set in a more rounded place because of Canadian influence. Right. That you actually have a, a split in your it, the, cloth the, the reason it, is that right? I, it caught my ear is because it didn't match the word costly that was just before it. So I heard costly and then mm -hmm. borrowed sounded further forward than costly did. Well, and as you can see, I've color-coded this, and so I color-coded both costly and borrowed as cloth words, but apparently I didn't really yeah, say them or the that, same way. Uh, the subset of cloth words that are followed by R has a realization that's perhaps not quite as rounded, that you're sort of in the mm -hmm. hybrid zone between your lot words and your thought words, for that subset of cloth well, words. Here's a, a rabbit hole, but I'll, I'll only peek my head in. Uh, if I say borrow a box, I think I'm going to make my box huh. more fronted. And that reminds me that a couple of months ago on Vastavox, somebody... Uh, wrote in and, and shared something from the media about iPad and iPod being pronounced the same and that causing confusion. And you wrote, a, I think, a terrific response to that. Uh, why isn't it possible for somebody to confuse iPad um, and iPod? Generally, the people who are going to say iPad for iPod, uh, the O-D, version are likely to have an iPad yeah. that's dramatically different because they, you know, if one thing yeah. shifts, then something else has to, something moves into the turf of another area, then things move in order to be uh, distinct because people have to be able to distinguish iPads from iPods. And uh, <laughs> I certainly I, do. I, uh, yes, I have a hard time with that, sticking my iPad up to my ear. Uh, on a regular basis. Well, it, it's a, a theoretical underpinning of all of this work that I think is really important to remember. That is, it's distinction that's important, that uh, accents tend to keep their word categories apart. And so if I merge my... If my lot words are pretty forward, lat, that's pretty far, then my trap words had better move out of the way so that I don't have chop yes, and lot. Exactly. And, you know, I can imagine that you're working at a Apple call center and receiving phone <laughs> orders for iPods, uh, you know, iPads, uh, iPads. 
I, it would, you, you know, you'd well, be based on the other sounds that you know that that oral posture that leads you to pronounce iPod yes. as close to something that's like iPad. Uh, those are going to give clues, even if you just called in and you said iPad. That's what I want, iPod. The context, <laughs> you'd be able to tell. You'd be able to tell sounds the... around it because the oral posture would affect yeah. all the consonants, everything that you would say. You're saying P-O-D, not P-A-D. Um, well, uh, William LaBeouf, the linguist uh, who essentially, I don't know, he didn't invent sociolinguistics, but uh, he's a key figure. He gives a lecture in which he plays a sample. I don't know if you've heard this lecture or not. Uh, the single word is sax. And he asks the audience to write down what word they think it is. Now, teaching in Southern California, I thought the word was sex. <laughs> sax. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, I have a filthy mind. Uh, most people would think it was S-A-C-K-S. Or S-A-X. Yes. Uh, and then he plays the whole clip, and something like, and right. he wore sacks with his sandals. And so, in that same accent, this is the northern city's shift, uh, in that same accent, bus shifts to boss. And there are various shifts so that the whole system retains its integrity on an individual word, we might get confused because the sounds are similar to our version of right. a different sound category. But within the accent, we all of us very quickly adjust yes. our settings. Uh, we dial in our adjustments. And that's actually what causes some of the confusion that our students have, that they have their machine set for a certain perception. And when they hear a sound, it's... Right. It gets miscategorized. All right, I'm interested in hearing you okay. speak this text. The officer and the constable talked to my daughter a lot. They said it was not at all optimal to go on a long cross-country obstacle course from Ottawa to Montreal. Obviously, Chicago to Boston was also off, being far too costly in a borrowed or costly in a borrowed automobile. Uh, <laughs> because it was colored, I made it the same. <laughs> That's yes. the, the, the danger of that. Uh, so, yeah, definitely your thought words are yeah. distinct, although all in Montreal were certainly more than daughter, which seemed fairly unrounded. Yeah. I, I'm just going to try it one more time. I'm going go, to take the color out of it if I can. Um, the officer and the constable talked to my daughter a lot. They said it was not at all optimal to go on a long cross-country obstacle course from Ottawa to Montreal. Obviously, Chicago and Boston were, were also off, being far too costly in a borrowed automobile. Now, what, what's interesting to me is that your lot words and your cloth words have what I, I would consider to be a little mm. bit of rounding in them. And that makes the distinctiveness of the thought words, which are, they are a little bit different, but it sort of blends them together. And so the merger is certainly there, but it's merged. If you were to say to me, lot, cloth, and thought were merged, I would merge them around a fairly unrounded position. Uh, and it sounds to me as though what you've got going there is merged around a slightly more rounded yeah, position and not I fully I merged. I still think it's more back than rounded. Lot, cloth, thought. Like, my, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's definitely no lip action. Lot, cloth, thought. Um, thought, uh, yeah. Whereas something like palm, palm and, um, you know, palm and father, I don't round those much. Uh, but they're also back-ish, right? There, there isn't, there aren't any palm words in here, are there? I don't think so. And so the degree to which they would match palm words... Um, There's one tricky one, which is potentially a palm, palm word, which is yeah. Chicago. But I would definitely think of that as a, as a palm word. So it's fascinating. Uh, I think that what we've... Here's a term that I find that I'm writing frequently when I'm working on this book. 
and that is vowel cloud. Mm. Everybody's yes. got their little vowel cloud, and uh, if you merge lot, cloth, and thought, or lot, cloth, and thought, then you're merging the clouds. They're overlapping more. And I think you mentioned this uh, in looking at a, a plot of the formant frequencies of vowels on a chart. You could take the same speaker. You could even have the same word just spoken differently. And at one moment, it's lot. And at another moment, it's lot. Yeah, that we, have, we, we perceive ourselves to be very um, consistent about the way we pronounce vowels. But the reality is uh, not, not that we are not consistent. And if uh, you get a speaker yeah. to, to speak a, a passage like this one that you and I just had a go at, um, the, the mm -hmm. targets, the um, little symbols that stand for where each of those is realized in terms of format frequencies are uh, pretty spread out on the plot, far more than I would have imagined. However, I would say that they follow an internal logic and that, that is a logic of oral posture. And that yes. and you can sort of make an average of Yes, it. yes, I think we do. And so when we hear a speaker violating those boundaries, those intuitive boundaries, we're one, perceiving that there's something funny about the way they're holding their mouths, uh, but we also very quickly detect, yes. oh, that accent's and funny. I think for, for a while we, we may be sort of computing an error right? We, we're hearing cross, and we're going, cross? Uh -huh. What is that? Is it crass? Is it cross? Right. Uh, and, and if there's, you know, our, our internal uh, sense-making mechanism is going, alert, 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 listen more carefully, try to figure, figure out what is going on here. And as more um, representations of the, that lexical step set start to pop up in the speaker's speech, mm -hmm. uh, we start to hone in. Oh, okay, that's what's going on. Um, and when it's a, if it's a lexical set so, like palm, where there's very few tokens that just be, that that word is that lexical set has so few actual uh, words that are part of that lexical set, particularly if it's distinct from lot, cloth, and thought, then it may take a while before people recognize that you have an unusual pronunciation of that. It's also true that actors, in trying to assemble an accent, are uh, I often overgeneralizing, but also over-executing. Uh, that is to say, not only do they tend to make the sounds in more places than they ought to, they tend to do them all with sort of an equal mm -hmm. intensity, which... It, which narrows the vowel cloud too much, and yes, we can detect that. Yeah, so that this so distinct speech sort of includes sort of specificity of vowel that uh, is different from the way most people actually speak. So if I were to say this sentence with a notion that I was doing a California merged uh, merger of these three sounds around an ah, and in fact okay. I'll probably front it a little bit, but I'll do them all equivalently, I hope. The officer and the constable talked to my daughter a lot. They said it was not at all optimal to go on a long cross-country obstacle course from Ottawa to Montreal. Yikes. Obviously, Chicago to Boston was also off, being far too costly so to borrow not Ottawa only are you making them all very similar to one another, so our cloud is extremely small. They're sitting in the pocket of that mm -hmm. sound. They're also being realized with hmm. almost exactly the same stress and length. And, and so a word and like length, Montreal, yeah. no, you know, it would be very rare for that last syllable to not be reduced or, or lengthened because it's the final syllable of a sentence. Montreal. And those forces are inherent. We all of us, as English speakers, are aware of the way in which the consonant context and the uh, place in the sentence, the, the level of stress will affect those things. And so we can just sort of intuitively expand and contract and allow the shifts inside. We can recreate a vowel cloud that makes sense based on our rules of English and on this new 
taste of sound in the new accent. That's why we're able to do accents so quickly, frankly. Uh, and why actors' accents are sometimes laborious, why directors often hate to have actors working on accents, because you get this swing for the fences on every token of the sound. Yeah, and it, so it feels like the person's working at it. It feels belabored, it feels self-conscious, and that's the last thing that a director wants of an actor. Now, what we've just argued against is excessive consistency. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, of course, is inconsistency. And so if I were to set this up to say I'm going to do my officer and constable and talked and daughter as two distinct categories, then if I say the officer and the constable talk to my daughter a lot, that lot would be an outlier and would show up. Yes. It would so, leap out but it would be outside of the vowel cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have to create consistent inconsistency. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I do think that's true. Um, and sometimes there are um, you know, uh, challenges for actors where they, they haven't identified a word or, or a group of words belonging to the right lexical set, and so they, their inconsistency is around uh, where to apply the sound. They can apply the sound perfectly, mm -hmm. um, they just can't remember when to apply it. Um, and other yeah. times it's uh, that their mouth kind of gets away from them. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, I believe we may have exhausted the topic. <sighs> what a relief. <laughs> Um, and, you know, we didn't get to many of Eric's lovely questions. He sent us these terrific audio comments, or audio comments, and uh, we're just going to have to defer some of them for another episode. Well, a number of them are about consonants, so I decided we would save the consonant ones for a consonant that episode. clever. Mm. Um, so let's wrap this up. And uh, yeah. um, we can remind people that if they would like to join in the conversation and send a comment, they can send it to glossonomia at gmail.com. And they could record something and send it off via email. And we would be very happy to include their comment in the show. And uh, questions would be lovely. And you were, you were going to ask for some kind of question or topic or something. Well, because we are doing Glossonomia live August uh, the Vasta Conference, I can't remember what date, we're going to be doing it with people at Vasta and uh, it'll be our sort of Vasta-directed episode. And if people have questions they'd love to be answered there, I will be thrilled to include those in that sort of public event. So if you are not able to go to the Vasta Conference, it would be great yeah. if you could send those questions or thoughts to us in advance. And if you are going to be there, send us an email and tell us the question that you'd like to ask there so that we could maybe do a little bit of research and not just pull it out of our back pockets. Yes, that would be wonderful. Okay, well, thank you, Phil. And... Uh, we will I have one more thing to oh. add before we go. Okay. I, I think we should have said this at the beginning, but because I'm in Utah, I am recording this on a tiny little uh, recording device. I think you are using a small recording device, so our audio quality might be a little bit iffy. Uh, I did occasionally, while I was talking, see my little peak meter go off, so uh, there, there might be a little distortion, and I apologize for that. Yes. Um, and uh, the, other, the other thing we need to apologize for is our inconsistency in mm. releasing these episodes. And as you could hear in our preamble, that we, we have been pretty busy. Um, yeah. And we will continue to be busy through the summer. So we do have a schedule of uh, proposed recordings between now and the Vasta Conference. But uh, we can't promise that there will be lots and lots of episodes between now and then. Um, we hope there will be some, and uh, we look forward to seeing people at the Vasta Conference and hopefully to presenting more of these between now and then. Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you, Phil, and I will talk to you anon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Tchau, tchau.